Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit TucsonBaptist.com. We pray that today's message is an encouragement to you. Thank you. If you have your Bible this morning, let me invite you to take it and turn with me, please, to the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. It's a privilege to be able to be here today and share with you from the Word of God. My wife, Cheryl, and I, uh, in August, will be beginning our 40th year of full-time evangelistic ministry that the Lord has given us to serve Him in. I am an evangelist son. My father preached the gospel for 67 years before going to be with the Lord Himself. Mom followed him uh, several years later, uh, and uh, praise the Lord for that. My wife is a pastor's daughter. Her father retired finally from pastoring uh, at age 83 uh, after he'd pastored a number of different churches uh, on the East Coast and up into Pennsylvania and New York State. And he still wishes he could find a little church he could preach in once in a while. So we're thankful for growing up with the heritage that God has given to us. And uh, we appreciate the opportunity to be able to share with you this, this week. Uh, we've known, as I said to the folks in the, uh, in the uh, uh, growth group this morning, I've known pastors since he was young. <laughs> it's been a long time uh, since we've known him and his family and uh, meetings uh, back in West Virginia and uh, what the Lord has done over the years. And uh, it's been a privilege to serve the Lord uh, through this time. And uh, I'm glad we had the opportunity to be able to renew that acquaintance and be with you here for the services for today and uh, some other special things during the week this week. If you would, if you're able, stand with me, please, and honor to the Word of God as I read our scripture text this morning, Mark chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in this passage at verse 40. Mark chapter 1 and verse 40, it says, And there came a leper to him, beseeching him and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand, and touched him, and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. And he straightly charged him, and forthwith sent him away, and saith unto him, See thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. But he went out and began to publish it much, and to blaze abroad the matter, insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, but was without in desert places, and they came to him from every quarter. Let's remain standing for a word of prayer if you would. Father, we do thank you this morning for the privilege we have to be here in your house. Thank you for those who are not able to be with us this morning but can watch by live stream and we pray Holy Spirit that today you would undertake for both the proclamation of your word and the application of that word to each heart here and each one listening. We pray that in the invitation you might bring about what decisions you would desire to be made, whether for salvation or for submission or surrender or some other thing that you would deal with hearts and lives about today. I pray, Lord, that as we have the privilege of, of illustrating the great compassion and love that you have for lost men, women, and young people, that you might help us to uh, apply to our hearts those things that you uh, have for us to learn today from your word. And we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake and for his honor and his glory today. Amen. You may be seated this morning. If you ask some people what their favorite Bible stories are, some might say the story of David and Goliath or maybe Jonah and the whale or one of those more famous Bible stories that you read in a Bible story book or here in Sunday school when you're a child at home. But, but uh, as an evangelist, 
My favorite stories, aside from the greatest story of all, how Christ came and died on Calvary's cross to pay for our sin, that we might be forgiven and be adopted into God's family and have eternal and abundant life through the Lord Jesus Christ. My favorite stories in the Bible as an evangelist are always the stories about people who came to Jesus. There's always something wonderful that happens when we can get someone to the Savior. And the story we're looking at this morning is the story of a leper who came to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's been left to us in the Word of God as a legacy to learn from. So I've entitled the message this morning, The Legacy of a Leper. The Legacy of the Leper. I'd like you to notice several things with me in our time together this morning. Would you notice, first of all, the Bible tells us of the disease. The disease. Verse 40 says, And there came a leper to him. Now, in the day when the Lord Jesus Christ walked on this planet, the words leper or leprosy brought the same kind of fear to people's hearts as the words cancer or HIV or AIDS might to someone today. Leprosy was a terrible and curable disease that would appear in a person's body as white spots in their skin. It would begin to spread about in that skin, turning the hair in the skin white as it died and then fell out. It would continue to eat away first at the extremities. The fingers would be eaten away. The toes would be eaten away. Even the facial features would begin to slough off, causing many a leper to wear a covering over their face so no one could see the awful deterioration the disease was causing. Leprosy caused two very serious consequences. First of all, it caused separation. For if you thought that you were a leper, you were required to go to the priest at the temple for a physical exam. If after that examination, you were indeed declared to be a leper, you could not return home, you couldn't go back to work. In fact, you couldn't be around anyone else but other dying lepers for whatever days, months, or years you might have left. You would be outcast outside the city to spend what time of life you had left, separated from all of life and all that was good. But not only did leprosy cause separation, it also caused death. Because a person afflicted by that disease would literally be eaten alive into an early grave by that terrible disease. Now I can tell by the looks on some faces this morning that you're glad you're not a leper and you never met one before. I've met lepers before in our ministry overseas. If, for example, I were to take you with me to India, where I've preached on eight different occasions, and I were to take you as I've taken other folks from New Mumbai across the bridge into Old Mumbai, I'm sure that as we took our taxi with the windows rolled down uh, across the bridge and into that part of the town, at at least one of the stoplights at which we would have to stop, there would be a leper, as I've often seen them, standing there with a covering over their face so that you can't see the deterioration the disease is causing, who when they look into the back of your taxi and see you, an American, you must have lots of money, they would come over as I've had them do and reach in what's left of a stump of a hand, bandaged in gauze, in front of you, hoping that you'll lay some money on that so that they can either take care of their own needs or maybe they're even still trying to provide for their family by begging on the street corner in that regard. It's an awful, terrible disease causing separation and causing death. But as terrible as the disease of leprosy was and still is in many places in this world today, the Bible tells us that every person even here today and everyone watching by live stream was born into the world with a disease far worse than leprosy could ever dream of being and it afflicts us in the same two ways even worse because every one of us was born with a disease the Bible calls sin. How did we get that terrible disease? Well, we can thank our human parents in the Garden of Eden for that. You know the story. The Bible tells us God created the heavens and the earth. Be, make no mistake, it did not evolve over billions and billions of years. 
I like the song my father and his associate used to sing in their ministry that said, I'm no kin to the monkey. The monkey's no kin to me. I don't know much about his ancestors, but mine didn't swing from a tree. The Bible tells us that God created the heavens and the earth. And when God made this world, he made a beautiful garden and he called the garden what? Eden. And then God reached down into the dust of the ground and made the first man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul and God called the first man what? Adam. And Adam had no mate, so God put him into a deep sleep and took one of his ribs. That's why women have been good at taking ribbing ever since. <laughs> and made a woman out of the rib, and they brought her unto the man, and they called the woman's name what? Eve. Anyone know why God did not make her first? My father said for many years it's because God did not want anyone telling him how to make Adam. <laughs> Now, if you're a lady or a young lady, you don't like that answer. You can say, well, actually, preacher, what happened is this. God made man and took a look and said, hmm, I can do better than that and made a woman. So whichever one of those you want, you can pick whichever. In any case, just remember she was made from the spare part of a fellow. But in any case, the Bible tells us that God placed the two of them in that garden home, gave them dominion over all that he had made. He only gave them one small prohibition. He said, you may eat of all the fruit trees of your garden home that I've provided for you, but you may not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that stands in the midst of the garden because the day you do, you will surely die. Now, why did God tell them that? Was he trying to spoil their fun? Was he trying to get them to sin out of curiosity or reverse psychology? Don't touch that tree. Okay, I will. No, it's because God, when he made man, gave man a very simple test that man failed miserably. For the Bible tells us Satan, God's adversary, came to the garden in the form of a serpent and tempted Adam and Eve to eat of the fruit of that tree. And, uh, and, and, and they violated God's command. Eve was deceived and ate of the fruit. And Adam took of the fruit, not being deceived, and also ate. And so the Bible says in Romans 5 and verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned like to think about it or not, we were all born with that disease called sin. We need to remember, we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're born sinners. It's in our blood from the time that we are born. None of us had to go to school to learn how to disobey our parents, amen? None of us ever had to watch a video series on how to fight with your brother or sister or to be selfish or to do anything else. All of that comes naturally from the sinful nature with which all of us have been born. But the Bible tells us that our sin, like leprosy, causes separation. It causes every one of us to be separated from God right now. The Bible says in Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God and have hid his face from you so that he will not hear your prayer. The Bible says elsewhere, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. My sin separates me from God right now in this life. The problem is that if I don't make that separation with God, one day I'm going to die and be separated from him for all of eternity. 
A lot of people say, but Brother Webb, I'm a good person. I do good works. I go to church. I put money in the offering plate. You know, I, 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 I do these different things. I, I'm not that bad. I don't deserve uh, to die and go to a place called hell. And yet the Word of God tells us what's going to take place at the great white throne judgment. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, the Lord Jesus Christ himself said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. For many will come in that day, speaking of the great white throne judgment, saying, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Listen, that's a preacher. And in thy name have cast out devils. Hey, that's a miracle. And in thy name have done many wonderful works. Most man-made religions in the world today are pretty easily recognizable because if you ask them if I have any hope of getting to heaven, what will get me there? They will say it's your works. Keep the sacraments, confess to a priest, go on a pilgrimage, uh, be confirmed, etc. But the Bible tells us in Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9, By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Titus 3 verse 5 says, It is not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. There is nothing we can do to save ourselves. And the Bible says, Jesus said there, people are going to stand before him at that judgment and say, but I've done many wonderful works. What does it say? His reply will be, Matthew 7 verse 23, Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me. That's eternal separation. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Depart, depart where? The Bible says, according to Revelation chapter 20, verses 14 and 15, at the end of that judgment, death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Hear me this morning. If evangelist Barry Webb got exactly what he deserved right now, I would die and be in a lake of fire, always burning, but never consumed for all of eternity. That is what every one of us deserves because there's not a one of us who has not willingly, just like Adam and Eve, chosen to disobey God. And our sin not only separates us from God now in this life, but when we die, we will be separated forever from God in the lake of fire. But not only does, uh, did leprosy cause uh, separation, it also caused death. And just like that, sin not only causes separation, but it also causes Death. The atheist would say today, well, if there was a kind, gracious, caring, and loving God, why is there death in the world, disease in the world, crime in the world, etc.? Well, don't blame that on God. That's not his fault. When God created the world and when he examined the world he had created, he said it was not just good, it was very good. There was none of that in it. It all came into this world when Adam and Eve chose to disobey God and they brought the first sin into the world and the consequence of sin, which is death. So that every human being from Adam and Eve, born all the way down to you and to me, has been born in sin. And we also face not only eternal separation from God, but physical death followed by eternal death. Hebrews 9, 27 says, It is appointed unto man once to die. You didn't probably get up this morning, stretch and look out the window and say, huh, nice day. I wonder if I'll die today. But you ought to think about it because you could die today. There's not a one of us watching or here present that is guaranteed another heartbeat, breath, or another moment of life. Every one of us faces physical death. That is the result not only of Adam and Eve's sin, but of our choice to disobey God. Listen, face it. We don't sin because someone puts a gun to our head or a knife to our throat and threatens to kill us or one of our family members if we don't sin, do we? 
James 1, verses 14 and 15 says, Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then lust, when it is conceived, bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. We sin because we choose to sin, and because we choose to sin, we choose the consequence of sin, which is physical death, which is then, according to the Word of God, followed by eternal death. Again, Revelation 20, verses 14 and 15, death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So every sinner faces physical death, followed by a time in hell, not forever, but until the day of the judgment. In Hebrews 9, 27, it says, it's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. And at the end of that judgment, after every sinner is faced, according to Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 14, the law of God they've broken, the list of every sin they've ever committed in their lives, the Lamb's book of life where their name is not found written, they are then cast into the lake of fire for eternity, which is called the second death. And so because we've all sinned, we face not only eternal separation from God, but eternal death. Our disease is far worse than the leper's was. But I, know, I want you to notice the second thing this morning. Not only do we see the disease, we see the desire. Look again at verse 40. There came a leper to him. To whom? To Jesus, beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. I want you to notice that when this leper came to the Lord Jesus Christ, he came with three things. First of all, he came with repentance. You say, well, I didn't hear him ask Jesus to forgive him for anything. No, may I put it to you this way. When this man came into the presence of Jesus Christ, it was his sincere desire that when he left the presence of Jesus, he would no longer be the leper he was when he came. Amen? If you'll pardon the expression, he was sick and tired of being sick and tired. He didn't want the disease anymore. He didn't want the separation anymore. He didn't want the impending death anymore. He wanted to be free from all of that. That's why he came to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would say to you this morning that there are lots of people in this world who claim to be Christians who I believe have perhaps never been saved. Why? Oh, they heard a preacher preach about hell, fire, damnation, torment, even as I have this morning. And they say, oh, no, I don't want to suffer in a lake of fire for all of eternity. But... I don't want to change the way I live my life. I want to keep on with my sin. I want to keep on with my abuse of my family. I want to keep on with my embezzling of funds. I want to keep on with my lust or whatever else. I want to just know, preacher, if I die today or tomorrow, I can go to heaven. So what do I have to pray? Hey, listen, they're just looking for a fire escape to stay out of hell. They're just looking for fire insurance. The Bible says in Acts 3.19, repent ye. Therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Second Peter 3 verse 9 says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus said himself in Luke chapter 24 verses 46 and 47, it was meet that he should be crucified and buried and the third day rise again, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations. What does it mean to repent? Well, what if I walked up to you this morning and I slapped you across the face as hard as I could? Whack! That'd be rather startling, wouldn't it? And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I do not know what came over me. Would you forgive me for that? You say, okay, preacher, you're a visiting evangelist. We'll cut you a break. I'll forgive you. And I say, thank you for being so kind. And I nail you again. Whack! And I said, well, you nasty hand, you, would you stop that? And I say to you, I'm sorry, would you forgive me again? You say, okay, preacher, I'll forgive you a second time. And I say, thank you for being so kind. And I hit you again. Whack! 
And they say, I don't know why I'm doing that. I'm so sorry. Would you forgive me again? You say, I'll be Christian about it and I'll turn the other cheek. I say, thank you. I'll hit that one too. Whack. How many of you think I'm really sorry I'm slapping you in the face? Oh, come on. I said I was sorry. I said the right words. Doesn't that mean anything? No. How do you know I'm not really sorry? Yeah, because I'm still doing it. So let me get this straight. If I'm making an impression on your face that the FBI could identify the fingerprints of, what am I going to do besides say I'm sorry? I'm going to... I'm going to stop. Yes. Now, if you're a little further east in the southeast of the U.S., they don't say stop. They say y'all quit. (laughs) Or if it's a group, it's all y'all quit. But it means the same thing. I'm not going to say, oh, I'm so sorry. Whack. Oh, please forgive me. Whack. Oh, you're so gracious. Whack. Would you forgive me again? Whack. If I'm truly sorry, I'm going to stop what I tell you I'm sorry for. Amen? Awful lot of people, hey, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to suffer in the lake of fire, but I don't want to change the way I live either. So what do I have to pray, preacher? Oh, yeah, dear Jesus, please come into my heart and save me. Now that I prayed that magic prayer, I can go out and keep lying and cheating and stealing and carousing and everything I was doing before because, man, I said the right words. I get to go to heaven. Amen? No, friend, that's not repentance. That's not repentance. We need to come like this man did with repentance. He didn't want to have anything to do with the leprosy he had. And you and I who come to Christ for salvation should not want to have anything to do with that old sinful life that we've lived before and the consequences of it. This man came with repentance. Secondly, he came with reliance. He came with reliance. He came in faith, in other words. Notice, what did he say when he fell down before Jesus? Did he say, Lord, I've tried everything else, now I'm going to try you for a while? No. Did he say to him, Lord, do you think there's anything you can do for me? Absolutely not. When he fell down before the Lord Jesus, he said, if you want to, you can make me clean. He knew who Jesus was. He knew the power Christ had. And he wanted to be set free. And so he placed his faith in the only person. No doctor could help him. No exercise program. No dietary change. He put his faith in the only one who could meet his need. The Son of God, Jesus Christ. I would ask you this morning, do you truly believe that Jesus Christ is God? Do you believe that he came from heaven, that he was born without sin, that he lived without sin, that he went to the cross and died on that cross, bearing all of our sins, yours included, and that God accepted that payment as he paid in full and said, it uh, it is finished, and raised him from the dead, proof that because he lives, we can live also. If you do not believe on Christ as God's son, as the only savior of the world, you cannot be saved until you believe. Remember Acts 16 31, when the Philippian jailer had asked, what must I do to be saved? To Paul and Silas in the jail, they didn't say, join our church, get baptized, do good works, keep sacraments, confess to a priest. What they did say was, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. What the Lord Jesus said to a man who came seeking him in John chapter 3, a fellow by the name of Nicodemus, you might remember, he said to him in John 3, verses 14 and following, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever, what? Believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever, what? Believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Verse 18, he that believeth on him is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And then the last verse of John chapter 3 itself says in John 3, 36, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Let me ask you, have you believed 
on the Lord Jesus. This man came with repentance. He came with reliance. Thirdly, he came with a request. He came with a request. Now think about this. That man could have come and stood at the edge of that crowd that day and he could have watched Jesus heal many other people and he could have turned and gone home the same leper he was when he came. But he didn't come to Jesus to go home still a leper. He came to be set free. So he made his way through the crowd into the very presence of Jesus Christ, fell down before him and presented his heartfelt request to the ears of a listening Savior. Lord, if you want to, you can make me clean. You know, the Bible says that's all that remains for you if you've never done so before. If you today are willing to repent and turn from your sin and believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior, that he only can save you. And today you can call upon him and receive him, he'll save you. Romans 10, 9, 10 and verse 13 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. But with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made into salvation for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. If you've never done it before, whether you're present here or watching online, you can call out to God today and say, God, I'm a sinner. I'm sorry, I can't save myself. Would you forgive me of my sin? I believe Jesus died for me on the cross and rose again and paid for my sins. And I want to ask him to come into my life and forgive my sin and save my soul. You say, preacher, if I prayed a prayer like that, God would save me? Absolutely. How do I know? Romans 10, 13 promises that he will. We see this man's disease. We see his desire. Look thirdly at at his deliverance. Look at his deliverance. Verse 41, And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him, and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. I I can't imagine how it, it must have made the Lord Jesus Christ smile from ear to ear when this needy man fell down and said, Lord, if you want to, you can make me clean. If he wanted to. He's talking to the same Lord Jesus who made blind people see, deaf people hear, lame people walk, and who spoiled every funeral he ever attended. You remember the funeral of the woman of Nain on her way to the cemetery, casket of her son in front of her as she went behind it mourning and the paid professional mourning crowd at the front. And Jesus saw the procession walked up and stopped the mourners and touched the casket and the dead man sat up alive. Spoiled a perfectly good funeral. He even ruined a perfectly good burial once. Remember he came to the city of Bethany and two sisters met him at different times and said, Lord, if you'd have come sooner, our brother wouldn't have died. He said, show me where you buried him. They thought he wanted to pay last respect. So they took him to the cemetery and pointed out the tomb of their dead brother. And the Lord Jesus shocked them when he said to them, take the stone away from the door. Now get this. They began to try to teach the creator and sustainer of the universe a biology lesson. They said, Lord, we can't take the stone away from the door. Now he's been dead four days. By now he stinketh. He's our rotten brother. Spoiled rotten, literally. And the Lord Jesus said, take the stone away from the door. And when they had complied with his orders, it says he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. You know, I think it was a really good thing he was specific. And said, Lazarus. Because I would have hated to have seen how many other corpses would have wandered out of that cemetery if he hadn't been specific. He could have raised every last corpse in that place. He alone has the power over sin and death. That's our Lord. And so he said, take this stone away from the door. And when he cried, Lazarus, come forth, here he came, all wrapped up in bandages. Now, I don't know whether he was married, whether he was ever uh, had any children. But if he did, they had to turn him from a mummy back into a daddy. <clears throat> Sorry. But in any case, this is the same Lord Jesus before whom this needy man falls and says, Lord, if you want to, you can make me clean. And I think with all the love of God beaming forth from his face and a smile upon his lips, see the compassion of our Savior 
as he reached out and touched a leper. Never mind just saying something. He could have just said, be clean, and he would have been. But he reached out and he touched that man that no one else in that crowd would even get near. I believe there's a reason for that. I may share with you later on. But the fact is, this is the same Lord Jesus. And he reaches out and he touches that man. And in compassion says, I will be thou clean. You know, I look around me today in this world and I see lots of people who are in bondage. I see folks that are in bondage to alcohol. They're alcoholics. They don't want to admit it, but they have to have a drink when they get up in the morning and another drink in the middle of the day. And they have to stop by the bar on the way home from work and drink some more. And then they have to go to the the convenience store and pick up a six pack of something else to keep it going all night. And they start the process the next day. Some go to Alcoholics Anonymous or Reformers Unanimous or some other kind of a program, come out of that and go right back to the alcohol. Why? They're in bondage. They're slaves to it. How many people today are in bondage to drugs? I, 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 some people have to have a drug to get them up in the morning and a drug to get to the day and a drug to put them to sleep at night and another one to escape from reality whenever they need to. I, I talked to a 30-some-year-old school teacher, public school teacher from the state of Virginia once who told me that she knew for a fact now that in the public school in which she taught, every single teacher in that school was on drugs every day. Only way they could get through a day of teaching. And there are people who realize what an awful thing that is and they go to the hospital and they try to dry out and they come out and they go right back to the drugs again. Why? Because they're in bondage to it. How many people tonight are in bondage to tobacco of some sort? Cigarettes or chewing tobacco or rubbing snuff or some other thing that way. And they realize not only is it harming them uh, by smoking that, but the people that are living with them or riding with them who don't even have a filter to suck the smoke through get the full result of that stuff. And they finally realize what a terrible habit it is. They can't seem to afford money to pay the bills for their family or buy groceries, but they can afford to buy cartons of cigarettes at the exorbitant price. And they try no smoke and Bantron and and Nicoban and the patches and the gums and the gimmicks. I even know one fellow who told me he tried eating cigarettes, hoping it would make him so sick to his stomach he would never smoke another one of them, but went back to them again. Why? In bondage. How many young people and how many adults today are in bondage to a crowd? You you, you do everything you do. You dress the way you dress. They talk the way you talk. You go places you go. You listen to music you listen to. You behave the way you do. Because you're more concerned about pleasing the crowd at work or at home or in your neighborhood than you are about pleasing the Lord. And Proverbs 29 verse 25 says, The fear of man bringeth a snare. Whenever we become more concerned about what anybody else thinks about us than what the Lord thinks about us, we're caught in a trap of the devil. We're in bondage. And how many people today are in bondage to the guilt of their past? You know, the devil knows exactly what sins of our past that we think is so bad that when he pulls it out of the closet of our heart and rattles it in front of our face, makes some people think, I'm so bad, God can't save me. Or there's some Christians say, I did so many bad things, God can't use me. And there are people that day after day spend their lifetime in bondage to the guilt of their sin. Let me tell you something tonight. There is no reason whatsoever for anybody anywhere to be in bondage to any sin whatsoever. Why? Because John 8 verse 32 says, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Oh, you say, what's the truth, preacher? Wrong question. Who's the truth? Jesus said in John 14 verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And when a person turns from their sin, trusts the finished work of Jesus Christ, and takes his free gift of eternal life, then the Bible says they can be set free. 
an alcoholic came forward in one of our meetings in Cincinnati years ago, weeping. After the service was over, he came and shook my hand and said, Preacher, I've been an alcoholic, didn't want to admit it. But he said, I told people I tried to quit and I couldn't. He said, that was a lie. He said, I realized that even a Christian who has the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in their heart, if they don't want to get rid of some sin out of their heart, God's not going to take it from them. He said, I didn't really want to let go of it. But he said, tonight I gave it to God, and I told him I don't want this habit in my life anymore. The first thing that man did when he came to service the rest of the week was come shake my hand and say, I haven't touched a drop all day today. Two months later, I got another letter from his pastor wanting to schedule a future meeting, and at the bottom it said, P.S. so-and-so told me to be sure to tell you. When I wrote, he still hadn't touched a drop. There's deliverance in Jesus Christ. That 30-some-year-old school teacher knew that all the teachers in her school were on drugs because she had been too until the day she came to a Bible-preaching church, heard the gospel, and got saved. And the, God was so gracious. She went home and threw away all of the drugs she had at her house. And she didn't even go through withdrawal. In fact, she said the next day when she went back to school, she was so happy and bouncy and energetic and full of life that the other teachers in the school who were on drugs kept stopping by her classroom wanting to know, what kind of drug are you on? <laughs> and she could tell them, I'm not on any of that stuff anymore. I don't need it anymore. I've got the Savior. I've got Christ. There's deliverance in Jesus Christ. I know a fellow who tried eating cigarettes, hoping in keep him from smoking them again, went back to them again, finally rolled up a brand new package of cigarettes around a brand new $30 cigarette lighter and said, God, I can't quit this. You've got to do it. Threw both items in the garbage can and has never touched a cigarette since that day. There's deliverance in Jesus Christ. One teenage girl told me that she was one of those that had a group of friends at home. She went to Christian school, but when she went home, there was this crowd that wanted her to do wrong. And she was always doing what the crowd wanted her to do. Until the day I preached in chapel about being like Daniel and purposing in her heart she wouldn't defile herself. And she made that commitment. She said, I went home and there was that crowd. Wouldn't you know it? Want me to do something bad right away. I said, what'd you do? She said, for the first time in my life, I said, no, I'm not doing that anymore. I said, what'd they say? She said, most of them laughed and walked away. I said, most? She said, yeah, the funny thing was that the leaders stayed back behind everyone else. And when everybody else got out of earshot, they turned around, stopped laughing, looked at me seriously and said, you know something we wish we could say no like that. Let me tell you something, folks. If you're in bondage to a crowd, even the crowd knows who has their head screwed on straight. And they respect them. There's deliverance in Jesus Christ. Oh, then there's the lady in a meeting in Athens, Georgia, who came up after the service and said, Brother Webb, I know God has forgiven me for my past sins, but I just can't forgive myself. I said, oh, have you got higher standards than God? She said, sir... I said, man, you can't get a higher or holier authority than God himself. And if God says he has forgiven and forgotten your sins, who are you to remember them? She said, I never thought of that. In fact, I like the way another preacher put it. If the devil unkindly reminds you of your past, kindly remind him of his future. He'll leave you alone for a little while anyway, man. There's no reason for anybody to be in bondage to any sin whatsoever. Why? Because the Bible says in John 8, verse 36, If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free, what? In theory? No, you shall be free indeed. I don't know your heart today. You may say, Brother Webb, I know Christ is my Savior, but are you still under bondage to something of this world, some sin? Why don't you let go of it today and give it all over to the Lord? He'll deliver you. He's the only one who has the power to do that. And he will. Just like he said to that man, I will. Well, I need to hurry up and get ready to finish up this morning. Let me just notice, call your attention to two other things. There's a departure. There's a departure. The Bible says in verse 42, and as soon as he had spoken immediately, the leprosy, what? Departed from him. 
and he was cleansed. Did you notice the emphasis of that verse? How long did it take for this to take effect? Did he have a six-month installment plan? Do you have to get a background check done first? No. The Bible says the minute Jesus Christ touched that man, and he said, I will be thou clean. At that moment, his fingers came back. His toes came back. His facial features came back. He said, do you really think that's what happened, Brother Webb? Look, in 2 Kings chapter 5, you read of Naaman the leper who when he washed in the Jordan River at the command of God's prophet, it says his flesh came again unto him like the flesh of a little child. And if the same thing happened, hadn't happened to this fellow, he would have been cheated. God is no respecter of persons. I love to see all that come back. There was an obvious, visible difference in his life. If you had told me 40 years ago I'd be standing in front of people preaching, I would have told you you're probably pretty nuts because I'm a basically very shy person. My father was the outgoing person in my family. I grew up under the alpha male who was alpha male no matter where he went. But the fact of the matter is, I, 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 when I, if, if, if I was traveling with my dad uh, a little bit when I was a boy and he was close enough to go to meetings, if they had shrubbery in the lobby, I'd hide behind it, watch people go in. Shake my hand, polish hand, go in. And then after the service is over, I go out and hide and watch them get, go. And I remember we were in a church at a big glass tin lobby there, at big Diefenbachia plants. They're wonderful. They're fat leaves. They're great for hiding behind. And, and about 15 minutes before the service, when my father was out there shaking hands, a, a motorcycle biker came in. Now, I have nothing against motorcycles or other people who ride them. My father used to say, buy your son a motorcycle for his last birthday. <laughs> Think about that. But I'm not making fun of the father. I'm just going to describe him for you. He had a Nazi helmet on his head with a point on the top. He had hair clear down past his shoulders, big old beard and mustache hanging down, his shirt unbuttoned down his waist, tattoos all over, battleship chain around his neck. He had a black and leather, uh, black, uh, leather jacket on with studs on the arms. Uh, he had uh, the jeans with the holes in the patches with a wallet sticking the foot out of the pocket on, on a gold chain just daring you to try to swipe it so that he stomp you to death with those heavy biker boots with a chain link fence around the bottom. One of those guys. And I'm not making fun of him, God knows. But, but I thought to myself, it's going to be an interesting service. Well, my father preached, came to the end of the service, said, anybody here doesn't know if you died, you'd go to heaven? Up went that big old studded arm. We stood to our feet. My father said, if you'd like to ask Christ to come and save you, we'd be glad to take, take a Bible and pray with you. Would you step out and come? I'm glad nobody told that fellow only sissies were supposed to get saved. As that big muscle-bound brute stepped out of that seat with big old tears streaming down that rough face into that beard, and he walked down the aisle and came to Jesus. And the next night I was out behind the same bush, and my father was shaking hands with folks coming in. And this sharp-looking young man carrying a Bible, dressed nicely, nice haircut, came in and began to shake my father's hand. My father said, my, glad to have you visiting with us for the first time. He said, oh, this is not my first time. I was here last night. father said, you were here last night. He said, I thought I saw everyone here last night. And I don't remember anybody being here last night who looked like you. He said, well, maybe, Brother Webb, that's because when I was here last night, I didn't look like me. Well, I said, I don't understand. He said, you remember the motorcycle bike with the Nazi helmet and all that? And my father went, oh, no. He said, yes, sir, that was me. Now, did somebody go home and preach at him through his bedroom window or give him a, a, a recording device with a sermon on it so he could put it in his, you know, pillowcase and learn by osmosis while he slept? No, the minute that fellow got saved, the Holy Spirit that came into his heart and his own common sense said, buddy, there needs to be a change. Why? Well, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it, what? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Let me ask you this morning, has there been a departure if you claim to be saved, has there been a true departure from some of those old things of sin that maybe we have a tendency to want to hang on to and keep making excuse for? You get a genuine dose of God's salvation, folks, you will never be the same again. There will be a departure from sin. But that leads me to the very last thing I want to mention before we turn the service back to the pastor, and that is there's a declaration. There's a declaration. Look at verse 43. He straightly charged him. That doesn't mean he asked him for money. That'll be $30, please. 
No, it means, it means he, he, uh, he charged him, he instructed him, he forthwith sent him away, and he said unto him, say, See thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. That's an interesting thing. I told you there was a reason why Jesus touched that man. And if you were a Jewish religious leader sitting in the crowd when this all took place and you heard what Jesus just said to him, you would have realized that Jesus left something out. Because there was a procedure that if you were healed from leprosy by God, you were to follow. And in addition to going to the priest and showing yourself and offering a sacrifice and forgiveness, there was a deal of washing in the temple pool. Washing in what they called living water, which at that point, the, the, the pools, and they're still there in Israel. The pastor, I'm sure, could tell you that. He was going to take a bunch of you in April to Israel anyway. There are still pools like that. There's still water in some of those. And the water that sits there for so long gets stagnant. How do they make it cleansing water? They bring water from something running, a creek or a river, and they pour that in, and the living water touches the dead water and makes it living. Jesus didn't include that in this man's instructions. He said, go to the priest, offer your sacrifice and thanksgiving, go home. Any religious leader in that crowd knew he left out that step of the living water. You know why? Because they understood that when Jesus reached, he was claiming to be the living water. He didn't need that other. The living water, Christ, had cleansed him. And so Jesus said, don't make a big deal out of it. Go home, show yourself to the priest. Verse 45, but he went out and began to publish it much. And the blazer brought the matter in so much that Jesus could no more openly enter the city, but it was without in desert places. And they came to him from every quarter. Understand what it says? Jesus' town ministry ended at that point because if this man knew he was coming to town, he had a multitude of people so large, Jesus couldn't get into town. So he had to stay out by the seaside and in the wilderness where they could accommodate the crowds that were caused by this one man. I won't have time to tell you a long story, but a pastor was awakened by one of his deacons and hurried down the street because the church was burning down. Been the most exciting thing to happen in that village for months, if not years. And as the pastor looked at some of the faces that were in the crowd, the whole town had turned out to see that there was an ungodly man he'd been trying to get to come to church for years and never could get him to come. There he was. So he backed out of the crowd, went around the other side, got up next to the fellow, nudged him and said, Sir, I've been trying to get you to come to church since I moved here. You've never come. Why would you come tonight when you've never come before? And the man simply replied, Well, preacher, the church has never been on fire before. Let me ask you something. When's the last time that every member of Tucson Baptist Church has been on fire for Jesus Christ. Never mind everybody else. When's the last time you've been on fire for Jesus Christ? Couldn't keep your mouth shut about him to others at work or at school or where you go. You, you, get, you get on fire for Jesus Christ, somebody will come and watch you burn. You'll attract attention. And you can turn that attention where it ought to be to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the one who changes our lives. I did not know your heart this morning. Or of those of you that may be watching online, but I can tell you this, if you never come to the Lord Jesus Christ like this man did, you can do it today. There's good news, 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If you've never done that before, this very day, you can bow your head and you can say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin. I believe Jesus loved me. He died for me. He rose from the grave and only he can save me. Would you come into my life and forgive my sin and save my soul? Preacher, if I prayed a prayer like that and I meant that God would save me, absolutely. Or maybe there's someone who's already made that decision and you say, Preacher, I'm one of those people who's been saved but been making an excuse for something that's still in my life that should have departed long ago. 
or I need to be delivered from, then go to the Lord today. He's the only one who can take care of that. Submit it, surrender to him, and watch him deliver you from that. If you're not a witness and a testimony, it's vitally important, yes, that we demonstrate the gospel with our lives, but it is also vital that we declare the gospel with our lips. That both might point others to the cross of the Lord Jesus. You see why I like this story of the legacy of a leper? Because the legacy of a leper leads lives to the Lord. And so should we.